There are some people who seem to have been born with an extra dose of talent. I excelled in everything that I did. For this episode of Kava, we get to hear from a world-class equestrian athlete. Her world is far different from ours. She knows things about discipline and dedication beyond what I personally have ever experienced. Because she has such talent, life has taken her to amazing places. But where this talent comes from might surprise you. Deborah McAlexander's life radically changed at the age of 24 when she lost something that most of us take for granted. The faith that she was raised with suddenly became real in a whole new way. memory was when I was four years old. My parents took me to Springfield, Missouri, where they were arranging the adoption of a little sister for me. Oh, fine. Her name was Mary Alice, and I remember when we walked into that doctor's office, it was cedar-lined, and we heard this baby just squealing and squawking. <laughs> and the doctor said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. She has not shut up since she was born. Oh. And Mother had a little pink bassinet for her, satin and everything, and so they bring out my little sister. So I was so thrilled to have a little sister. Yeah. I also was adopted when I was three days old. Okay. So this child and I were not biological. Right. But she is my sister. I was so blessed. And it was a Christian family. Mama's daddy was a Methodist, retired Methodist okay. minister. Uh-huh. He used to, instead of circuit riding ministers, he was a circuit walking minister. He used to walk from Russellville to Eugene, Missouri, which is quite a distance Oh, wow. Um, and be given what? A, this was back like in the 1900s, early 1900s. He would be given a chicken or some eggs <laughs> or a meal. Yes. Yes. Yeah, since funny. I have really fond memories of when I'd go to visit him, and he would take me to go visit the elderly people. Yes. He'd always have his Bible. He'd always pray and read out of Scripture, but he had a harmonica. So he would play oh. all these hymns. And while he was doing that, I would kind of be wandering around in these old, dark houses. Oh, yes. I was, you know, just looking at all these ancient antiques and things. Oh, but those wow. are some wonderful memories I have. That is sweet. And combined also that also when I was always with Grandpa when we were there, every morning we had our devotional. Okay. He led us in that. And we did that at my home too when I grew up. Okay. So faith was always a part of my life uh-huh. and belief in Jesus Christ. As a young girl, Deborah fell in love with two things, music and horses. I excelled in music. Right. I, played, I started piano playing when I was five. Right. Mama started me, and then violin when I was in eighth grade. Okay. So through high school, I played in the Jefferson City Symphony, That's which was awesome. conducted at that time by Carl Burkle, and it was a high-level community orchestra. Mm-hmm. I watched Bonanza. Okay. There's one show that the mommy and daddy allowed us to watch. Okay. Ed Sullivan and Bonanza on Sunday night. Okay. And popcorn and lemonade and Oh, that's excitement. sweet. Well, of course, I fell in love with Adam Cartwright and the horses. Uh-huh. When I was five years old, daddy tells me, we are going to go get you a horse. I was so excited. Mama dressed me up in this little red and white polka dotted vest with the pants and the little lacy white top. Oh, Put my hair up in a ponytail. Daddy drove us down to Springfield, Missouri, where I had been born, and my sister also, to a radio station um, 
place that was owned by a man that daddy knew. Okay. And so he had this big farm and this big facility. So we walk into this barn and I'm looking as we go down the aisleway and I see when I'm five, of course I'm short, and I see all these tall doors right. and I see these big horses' heads coming yeah. over and I think, oh yeah, what if this is going to be my horse? Yes. The man stops by one of the stalls and opens the door and there, lo and behold, is a little dapple gray Shetland pony. My horse. And she was perfect. And right on the spot, I named her Princess. So I let her out and took her back to the little one-horse trailer. And Daddy said, okay. I was so in love with her, I didn't want to leave her. He said, okay. He put me up in the little feed, the hay um, keeper thing right in front of where she was in the the trailer. Uh But he said, you can ride here while we're on the gravel road. But then you'll have to get out and get in the car. Because it's technically illegal. <laughs> right, right. Oh, Lord, it was okay. So that's how I got my first point. Oh. While learning to play music and ride horses, Deborah quickly realized that one thing would take her from being good to being great. Discipline. Discipline is an idea that most of us feel we understand, but perhaps we don't realize the power it has over our lives. Deborah began cultivating discipline at a very early age, and it has shaped everything about her life. This was the deal. I had to take care of her totally at the age of five. Oh, wow. My job was, if I had this, and this was a good discipline on the part mm-hmm. of my parents, to groom her, to feed her, right. to ride her, of course, which was fun, to right. put everything back in the correct place in the barn. Yes. And one time when I got in trouble, it was because I had not put a curry comb back on the right hook in the barn. Mm-hmm. So what would you think my punishment was? It was not a spanking. Mm-mm. I could not ride for two weeks. And that was worse to me than a spanking. Absolutely. And after that, guess what? <laughs> I would double, triple check to make sure. Wow. Yes. And so Princess and I had quite a few wonderful, wonderful adventures. I had to stand in the corner one time in kindergarten. I talked out loud in class. See, but that was it again. Mm-hmm. One time I was disciplined. I stood in the corner. Right. And I never talked in class again. <laughs> so I was asking questions. Right. Yes. And I, so I went all the way. I grew up um, it was Southwest Grade School in Jefferson City, Missouri. Okay. That was my hometown where I grew up. Ah, discipline. It's something we all wish we had more of, but it seems so much easier said than done. Even our writer on the podcast says that it took discipline to write this episode. While she wrote these words that I'm saying right now, she locked herself in a quiet room without her phone or any kind of music. She pulled up the comfiest chair she could find and refused to leave her desk for a solid hour. It takes hard work to make ourselves do things sometimes. Life offers us a lot of easy options, but choosing difficult things can lead to a more rewarding life. A study at Stanford University demonstrated this in 1972. In this study, marshmallows were placed in front of children who were then told that they could only eat the marshmallow now or wait 15 minutes and get two marshmallows instead. Only 30% of the children were able to wait for 15 minutes. The researchers continued to study these children as they grew and became adults. The 70% who gave in to instant gratification and ate the first marshmallow struggled to succeed in life. They had trouble coping with social and personal problems and scored lower on the ACT and SAT than the other group. 
The problem for the 70% of the study was that these children were focusing on the pleasures that the marshmallow could offer right now. These children either ate the marshmallow as soon as the researchers left the room or tried to wait but stared and stared at the marshmallow, imagining what it would taste like. They eventually gave in. The 30% used some interesting strategies to get through the 15 minutes. Some of them distracted themselves by covering their eyes or singing to themselves. Others thought about eating two marshmallows instead of one, and this reward motivated them to wait. Whatever strategies the children used, they had one thing in common, discipline. The discipline to get through 15 excruciating minutes of not eating a marshmallow. Deborah began to cultivate this skill at age five, and she went on to be an incredible equestrian athlete, winning all kinds of awards for her skill with horses. But at the age of 24, she realized that she'd been building all this discipline for something she had never expected. I started to discover when I was 24 that I was losing eyesight. Okay. And so within just a few months, I became totally blind in my left eye. Okay. I went to eye doctors in Jefferson City. I went to an, a specialist at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis who told me that I had an eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa. Uh-huh. And by the time I was 30 years old, I would be totally blind and totally deaf. My okay. world was shattered. Right. I freaked out at first. Yeah. I mean, it was like, what? Yeah. This doesn't happen. I mean, I'd never even been around a person with blindness disability. Right. In shock, Deborah ran. She packed her things and moved to California to sell cars. I got a job selling cars at Wilson Ford. I had a girlfriend that lived out there, and I needed to escape from the right. trauma and the tragedy of the blindness um, horror. Right. Horror. Because it was like a death sentence. Right. It was like a death sentence to me. I could not imagine not being able to see. But while she was running, Deborah ran right into someone who would be her rock during this struggle. When I was out in California doing this job at the car dealership, I met Jack, who was selling advertising for the St. Louis, um, excuse me, the Los Angeles Times. Okay. And he, this was part of his automotive territory. So within a few months, we met, we dated, and we got married. When I'm with this doctor who's going to do my eye surgery, he says, And Deborah, you don't drive a car, no. Oh, yes, I do, I said. <laughs> Jack gave me his little Fiat convertible. I put the top down and I drive all over Southern California. I can see this You know, as a matter of fact, I have jobs selling cars and I take people in demo oh, all the time. Goodness. And he goes, Deborah, has anybody told you you are legally blind? It's illegal for you to drive a car? I said, oh my gosh, does this mean I have to give up my job selling cars? Right. So, so since I'm 33, I've not driven a car. Okay. So there's a whole other challenge. Right. How do you get now that she had Jack on her side, Deborah decided it was time to stop running. She refused to let her blindness decide what her life would look like. Instead, she turned the disease into a superpower. After I married Jack, we moved back to Jefferson City, Missouri. Okay. I became a client of Rehab Services for the Blind, Missouri Rehab Services for the Blind, and immediately this agency sent me to Program for the Blind in Kansas City. I did training there for five months with a blindfold on for 12 hours a day for wow. the purpose of teaching me that if I ever was totally blind, I right. could function. Right. What did I learn? I learned white cane mobility. 
Right. I went all over Kansas City with a blindfold on and my white cane. Wow. I would be given an assignment. Go from the facility where we do our training to this hospital, take the, the bus, go to the hospital, go to the fifth floor, go to the radiology department, retrieve this document, and come back. And oh, I remember my goodness. That trip, yeah, I got on the bus, and this gentleman looked. I, I knew he was looking at me because I could sense his presence because I had the blindfold on. And he said, um, excuse me, he says, are you getting ready for Halloween? Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. And I started laughing. So I told him, explained what right. I was doing. I find people ask me a lot of questions so uh-huh. it, about blindness. And right. it gives me a great opportunity, instead of sometimes um, being rude back to them, even though right. they, their approach might be a little um, unpleasant, right. is to educate them. Because yes. people are confused about disability and about right. blindness. Absolutely. So also while I'm at this school, I learned Braille. I learned the code for music Braille. Oh, nice. I cooked, I sewed, I cleaned. I used to make all my own clothes. I even cut out with a pattern, sewed a fitted royal blue dress. Zipper, oh, wow. darts, everything, all with the blindfold on. Wow. So it was quite an experience, yeah, five months. When I would be in the hospital and we would do training with the mobility uh-huh. there, you learn as you're going down this long hallway. Even things like pressure change. Like right. if you're walking down the hallway, and I can tell there's a water fountain, I can hear it. I would have not paid attention right. to that if I had, was seeing out of two full-functioning eyes. Right. You know, oh, we just went by the coffee shop. I smell the coffee and the Danish and everything right. else. Or as we're walking down this hallway, and then where there's an intersecting hallway, you can feel just the, the pressure change, and it yes. just the atmosphere just opens up. Right. And you know where you are. So I think the fact that, as far as hearing goes, because I am a musician, my hearing was already highly developed. Yes. Very, very sensitive hearing because of the music. But it became more sensitive. So everything, the feel of touch, smell, taste, all of the other senses do kick in. I had full sight till I was 24, and I excelled Mm. in so many things. That's what's enabled me now as a person who is blind to be able to excel at what I'm doing because I, I know what that was like to have done it before. Right. When I got through with the school, here's what I decided. Okie dokie, I'm going to quit feeling sorry for myself. Mm, yes. I have no reason to feel sorry for myself. I have That's every awesome. reason to be thankful. I'm going back to school. So I am thankful to Missouri Rehab Services for the Blind for paying for my education to go back to University of Missouri in Columbia. I finished my bachelor's degree in piano performance. I went back to that. Okay. Because I thought, this is something I can do to earn a living, to teach. I can make my piano music bigger. I right. play in an yes. orchestra. I can't be sitting there with great big and yeah. large music. That's not going to work. So I decided on the piano performance. It took eight years to finish the bachelor's and then get my degree, my master of music degree in piano performance. But I did it. Yes. With the help of the Lord. And I had a dear lady, Martha Robinson, drove me for those years, almost that whole period of time, without wow. any compensation for her time. She wow. was paid gas mileage from rehab services for the blind. But Aunt Martha, as she became to me, uh-huh. would take me, whether it was for a one-hour class or whether we were there for eight or nine or ten hours, she would wait wow. for me, she would drive me home. And she committed to doing that for me. And she became not just a person I knew from Concord Baptist Church, she became my aunt. Deborah surrounded herself with people once again, pouring into them and letting them pour into her. She began to realize that her blindness had taken her to places that normal sight never would have. 
So I finished that degree. I immediately after I got done with the master's, I went through the process to become through Music Teacher National Association, a permanent professional certified teacher of music and piano. Wow. And I believe I'm still the only one with, with blindness, severe blindness disability. And I keep that credential up. For 30 years, I owned and operated an independent piano studio in Jefferson City, Missouri. We built it onto the side of my home. Oh. So I had a separate entrance. Yes. It's decorated with horse ribbons all over the place. Oh. And horse pictures with the Steinway piano, grand piano. Uh-huh. It's an awesome studio. I did that for 30 years. I love teaching. Wow. I worked with students who had disabilities. I had several blind students. I had students with autism. Uh-huh. I had a student with Tourette's. I had students who had just learning, some learning disabilities, plus right. the regular students, adults, even a 100-year-old woman. Oh, wow. Her great-great-granddaughter brought her from Columbia, Missouri. Oh, how And Miss Rebecca had played piano when she was younger very well. I could tell from the music that they brought, and I saw what she had played. Right. So here she is totally blind. I taught her by ear. We would do duets together. Oh, how fun. And Miss Rebecca played in all the recitals with the kids. I would say to everybody, you just don't know what it feels like to sit on the bench with a hundred-year-old woman right. who has seen so many changes in our yes. country, our culture. And I have the privilege to sit here and play duets with her and make music. Wow. So I said, all you children and everyone in this audience, lo and behold... This is what life is about. You never quit and you never give up. That is awesome. I wonder how much we don't see when our eyes work normally. I wonder what small things we completely miss simply because we can see everything all the time. Having to sense things differently has opened up a whole new world of experience for Deborah. In so many ways, she's more in tune with the physical beauty of this planet than we ever will be. Being able to sense the pressure of the atmosphere and notice wind chimes all the way down the street are such beautiful gifts. Blindness really offers a unique way of interacting with the world. In the next episode of Kavah, Deborah uses her blindness to return to equestrian sports and conquer the competition. Even though she no longer had eyesight, Deborah had a new vision for her life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kaval the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kaval learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.